Good morning and welcome to the ASEAN Speaks podcast. My name is Seng Yao and today we will be speaking with the research division on several key topics which will include a preview of Malaysia's budget, an analysis of the industrial sectors where the V-shaped recovery is most evident in ASEAN, and the implications for the plantation and energy sectors if Biden wins the election. I will turn over the call to our senior economist Chua Bin to moderate the call from here on. Hak Bin, over to you. Hey, hi, good morning, uh, 2nd November. Uh, looks like it's going to be a very busy and uh, eventful week. Uh, markets will let lower on fears of spiraling COVID cases and renewed lockdowns, uh, which, you know, which Germany and France and all the UK has introduced. Uh, fears of a contested election in the US is also a concern. Uh, in the meantime, US daily cases uh, reached almost 100,000 a day uh, over the weekend, when all of our prices fell 10% last week. Uh, focus on the US presidential elections on Tuesday. Uh, polls are showing that Biden is very likely to beat Trump. Uh, if we follow Nate Silver's uh, 538 website, the probability is about 90%. Biden's leading the polls by about 9 percentage points. According to Nate, Biden is expected to win about, on average, 370 votes, far above the 270 versus 188 for Trump. Uh, the Senate race is also closer. Nate Silver has the Democrats having a 77% percent chance of winning the Senate. So there is a possibility of a, uh, of a blue wave or Democratic sweep. China's data last week for October are encouraging points to um, a continued recovery. The manufacturing PMI went to 51.4, but the services PMI accelerated to 56.2. Again, the demand continues to recover from the slump. So let's start off with a budget uh, preview for this Friday. Uh, so, Jaime, uh, could you highlight um, some of the potential you know, fiscal measures or tax measures that you're expecting uh, to be in the in, in the budget? Uh, thanks, Abin. Um, so, yes, uh, Malaysia budget 2021 uh, will be tabled this Friday. Uh, first and foremost, we expect still sizable tax hikes or new tax uh, non-starters in this budget in view of the fragile economic and uh, domestic uh, political conditions. We also do not see higher or special dividends from uh, Petronas. I think obviously the oil and gas industry uh, are facing challenging operating environment given the outlook of uh, crude oil price is expected to be a bit flattish this year and next year around 40 to 45 dollar per barrel. And uh, Petronas, together with federal government, have to contend with the demand for fairer share or compensation by oil and gas producing states, especially in East Malaysian states of Sabah and Sarawak. Uh, Petronas also has its own capex needs, especially in renewable energy and uh, going green amid the intensifying momentum in sustainable or ESG investing. Um, but wildcard, a tax wildcard in this budget is a windfall tax on glove uh, manufacturers. Um, this is not new tax. Windfall uh, tax has been applied during economic recession and financial crisis in the past amid strain in government finance. So in 1998, uh, we have windfall tax on plantation sector and in 2008, we have a uh, windfall tax on power sector, specifically the independent power producers. Of course, alternatively, the government and the glove manufacturing industry can work on uh, special contributions by the industry to COVID-19 fund that was approved by parliament to fund uh, economic stimulus packages that include uh, medical expenditure related to uh, COVID-19. Um, I think in terms of uh, what's going to be in the budget, uh, in terms of allocation incentives, I think first and foremost, uh, the budget um, will uh, increase spending on social welfare and safety nets by continuing and enhancing uh, targeted supports to the vulnerable population. So, for example, there might be a review on existing social welfare department's monthly aid of 200 to 300 ringgit a month, uh, especially since the poverty line income for Malaysia has been raised 
fifty or to two thousand two hundred uh, ringgit per month from a previous level of uh, nine hundred eighty uh, ringgit a month. And of course, uh, there will be uh, allocation for COVID nineteen related medical or healthcare expenses, including for vaccine purchases. Uh, human capital development will continue to be a top priority. Uh, for example, we expect the hiring and training assistance for businesses and reskilling and upskilling uh, program announced under the short-term economic recovery plan of Penjana uh, in June uh, will be extended into next year because current program last uh, on December uh, this year and so far the take-up has been a bit low out of the targeted half a million people only 161,000 people have enrolled or were hired under these two programs. Um, I think with uh, expectation of uh, recovery next year, the budget will contain measures to spur consumer spending and investment. In terms of consumer spending, I think um, our auto analyst TJ expect the sales tax exemption for car purchases, which is ending on December, will be extended uh, to next year. We may see another round of e-wallet credits to spur consumer spending online. And uh, in terms of investment, there are at least three core areas that we think the budget 2021 is going to focus on. One is in food security and attracting relocation FDI to tap on the opportunities from supply chain security and resilience. Second is uh, the ongoing theme of uh, promoting technology adoption, automation, digitalization, especially for SMEs to uh, adapt to the new normal and boost productivity. And third is green investment for a sustainable long-term economic growth and development. Um, as usual, uh, budget 2021, budget always uh, create expectation about infrastructure projects. So for 2021, uh, there are three things. First, uh, should see faster progress in existing major infrastructure projects like MRT2, LRT3, Penbonio Highway, ECRL, uh, plus uh, schedule rollout. Uh, a second one is the expectation of schedule rollout and potential confirmation of additional major projects like uh, Penang uh, Transport Master Plans, uh, Reclamation uh, Island A, Johor Bahru Singapore uh, Rapid Transit System, MRT3, and uh, Putrajaya LRT and Monorail. We also expect uh, there are going to be a situation where budget 2021 will also focus on digital infrastructure investment led by the National Digital uh, Network Plan that spans the period uh, 2021 to 2025. Um, lastly, just want to add um, another expectation on budget is always about property sector-related measures. But I think... Uh, there's already this tax incentive to stimulate home purchases well into next year. So we don't expect any extras or or, or uh, addition uh, in budget 2021. But uh, we do see maybe a focus on uh, affordable housing, in particular in clearing the unsold affordable homes under government schemes like Prima. So this could go along the line of government providing guarantees to incentivize financial institutions uh, to provide financing to buyers of homes uh, under the government's affordable housing uh, projects. So, so I mean, what what happens? <laughs> what happens if the parliament blocks, you know, um, the budget? You know, um, and there's some resistance. What if it doesn't get passed through? Um, what what happens in such a scenario? Um, yeah, I think it's pertinent questions in view of this uh, concern about potential political or legislative impasse on 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 uh, budget. Um, I think in, under such event, uh, 
we have actually provision within the federal constitution called Article 102 that actually allows parliament to approve an interim budget, which in our opinion to mainly cover obligations such as uh, salaries, pensions, uh, debt servicing, as well as a continuation of critical public services such as education, healthcare, uh, defence, law and order. So preventing a situation of no budget going into next year. And and the most important thing is this Article 102 has been invoked before uh, in the case of a budget for the year 2000. Uh, the budget itself was tabled on 29 October 1999, not approved by Parliament because Parliament was dissolved on 11 November 1999 to make way for election on 29 November 1999. Uh, Parliament then briefly reconvened post-election on 20th to 23rd. December 99, before Christmas, obviously. And the re-elected uh, Barisan National Government back then tabled an interim budget uh, for the year 2000 under this uh, article mm. before proper budget 2000 was re-tabled uh, in the next uh, sitting, uh, proper sittings of the parliament on 25th February 2000 and subsequently uh, approved. Uh, I'll bring in Anand here. Um... <coughs> Anand, any um, you know, strategy or sector implications or your surprises you're mindful of going into budget day? Yeah, hey, morning, guys. <clears throat> so, you know, usually the budget is, is, a, is a time when, you know, corporates look to, to goodies or, you know, some positives to come out of the budget. I think this time around, I think the corporates will be very happy if they're just left alone uh, and not penalised by the budget. Uh, as as Suami has pointed out, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a very tough year for the government in terms of the budget deficit. Uh, you know, revenues are scarce. And we've, we've already seen, uh, you know, examples of uh, the government sort of uh, burden sharing with corporates in terms of uh, supporting the economy earlier this year, you know, with the rebates by Tanaga, uh, you know, the free data by the telco companies. That kind of CSR activities could be expanded, uh, you know, and that could be quite detrimental for earnings, especially among the GLCs where the government has a uh, sort of a controlling interest. Uh, and the other part of the equation is the, you know, you can't really tax households either because household debt to GDP is close to record levels. You know, in June this year, it was already at 87.5%, very close to its all-time record of 88%. So the only balance sheet standing in Malaysia is the corporate balance sheet. And, and corporate balance sheets are pretty healthy. Uh, so the windfall tax is one element of that uh, on the glove space, as I've mentioned before. You know, the glove stocks, uh, if you uh, look at your forecast in the next three years, they'll be ending up with cash holdings of between 7 to 9 billion ringgit. So very, very tempting target for the government uh, to be used to fund uh, its other spending. But coming back to where we could see some uh, sort of uh, upside for the corporate sector from the budget, uh, Swami has touched on this, uh, on, on these sectors. I'll just say three things. Uh, one, on the construction side, you know, uh, the highest probability event in our view is uh, you know, approval of MRT3, which has the most positive impact on the domestic economy. Uh, and I think the best play for that would be Gamuda. Uh, we have a buy on that stock. That's our topic in the construction sector. Uh, second, in the telco space, uh, you know, we have upgraded Axiata. So if you need exposure there for the uh, digital sort of acceleration uh, of uh, infrastructure, uh, that would be a good exposure. Uh, and in the tech space, you know, we've already seen examples of tech stocks benefiting from supply chain relocation. Uh, if there are incentives to accelerate that, then you'll be buying tech stocks uh, again. And stocks like Inari, Great Tech, uh, VSI would be on our list. I'll stop there. Thanks, thanks, Anand. Thanks for having me. Uh, we'll move on to um, a report on the recovery V pockets uh, across ASEAN. 
Uh, obviously, compared to China, you know, our sense recovery is a lot more uneven, a more U-shaped. Uh, China is, you know, emerging as the global growth engine with a V-shaped recovery, and the growth is actually broadening. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, despite there being many losers, I think there are pockets of winners within the ASEAN um, you know, economies. Some are actually quite surprising. So I'll bring in uh, Julie here to talk about, um, you know, where 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 some of those V recoveries are. Uh, obviously, there's been I-shaped recoveries, meaning they never really fell in the first place. This includes stuff like supermarkets or e-commerce sales. You know, the gloves manufacturers, so obviously Malaysia, Thailand, pharma, and Singapore. Uh, the stock exchanges also got a boost. Um, you know, Malaysia and Vietnam, which saw an I-shaped boost. But the uh, trading volumes are coming off now in Singapore and and Thailand. Um, so, Jue, where are the Vs, I guess, in uh, Singapore and Vietnam to kick off with? Yeah, sure. Hi, morning. Yeah, so, Singapore and Vietnam, uh, among the outstanding countries, have more Vs. Uh, and for Singapore, uh, to start with Singapore, semi- semiconductor production and exports have staged a pretty sharp V rebound. Uh, for instance, manufacturing has uh, jumped by 10% in the third quarter after the 0.8% decline in QQ, uh, boosted by both pharma as well as semiconductors. Uh, trade-related services like container throughput has also climbed back to pre-pandemic levels as of September. Uh, and in Singapore, what was surprising was that sales of discretionary items like uh, recreational goods, this includes stuff like bicycles, healthcare equipment and games, as well as uh, watches and jewellery, uh, despite the absence of tourists, recovered quite sharply in July. Uh, in Singapore, we see property transactions in both the private and HDB markets have also jumped to 40% above uh, pre-pandemic levels. Uh, this was boosted by the record low mortgage rates as well as ample liquidity in the market. Um, for Vietnam, uh, which is the only ASEAN 6 economy that escaped recession, uh, exports and retail sales have already normalised after uh, their brief contraction. And uh, the V recovery that we see in total freight carry confirms the strong pickup in domestic business as well as uh, the transport activities. Vietnam's manufacturing PMI has also risen a lot more quickly and strongly than the rest of the ASEAN countries. What about Malaysia and Thailand? Where are the Vs? So Malaysia also has uh, uh, plenty of Vs. Uh, Malaysia's V rebound in car sales, uh, it may be temporary uh, and probably a function of the government's generous exemption of sales tax for passenger cars, uh, which may be extended in the budget 2021. Our credit card transactions in Malaysia have also rebounded, and it's far stronger than the rest of ASEAN, uh, possibly because of the blanket loan moratorium, uh, the easier withdrawals of EPF funds, and uh, the shift of consumers going online. Uh, semiconductor exports and production in Malaysia have also rebounded, uh, similar to what we have seen in Singapore. Uh, for Thailand, I think the most notable V is really in uh, beer sales. Um, possibly a way for people to drown their sorrows. Um, home appliance sales like fridges and rice cookers have also rebounded quite sharply, given that more people spend time at home. Food exports have also benefited from uh, rising demand uh, globally because of lockdowns. Uh, cars and motorcycle sales uh, and credit card spending have also exhibited uh, a V, but at a softer pace than what we saw in Malaysia and as well as Singapore. I guess lastly, for the two countries that are struggling to contain the pandemic, uh, Indonesia and the Philippines, any Vs? Yeah, uh, it was quite difficult to find Vs in these two countries. Uh, but for Indonesia, I think the surprise V was really uh, domestic cement consumption. Uh, that jumped on retail demand uh, for house construction and renovations, uh, given that uh, given the prolonged lockdown in Indonesia. Uh, we also saw a V rebound in palm oil and agricultural exports. Uh, also because of increased food demand as well as higher CPO prices. 
what was surprising in the Philippines was the rebound in uh, power demand, uh, despite many offices in Manila staying shut under the lockdown. And uh, we also detected a weak V in overseas worker remittances, uh, as many overseas Filipino workers resume work. Okay, thanks, thanks, Jay. Well, we've hopefully with vaccine next year, we'll hopefully see a broadening of the growth and a, a, lot, a lot more Vs. Jiteng, uh, so just your quick three key points on why uh, Biden win, uh, what it means for the plantation sector and agricultural food commodity prices. Hi, good morning, guys. Uh, firstly, we know that Biden is pro-renewable energy and uh, pro-conservation. Mm-hmm. Uh, unlike Trump, who has delivered on his election promises on tax cuts, trade deals, and uh, doubled the subsidies he gave to farmers, during the tough times, it is really unclear at this point what Biden will bring to the table. It is also unclear what Biden's stand is on international trade policies. Uh, and in general, he has pledged uh, to help U.S. farmers leverage new technologies to increase productivity and profit uh, by investing in the next generation of agriculture and conservation while aiming to achieve a net zero emissions. The second key point is one of Biden's top priority is to develop the next generation of biofuels. Next generation biofuels simply means developing biofuels uh, using non-food-based feedstocks. Uh, presently, substantially, all of US e- E10, or equivalent of 15 billion gallons of ethanol, is sourced from uh, corn. The worry for me is this next generation biofuel will, may end up replacing corn-based ethanol use. At the same time, as the government promotes more EV uh, or, or electric vehicle uh, the absolute energy demand itself may also shrink. My third key point is on price impact. Uh, while Biden's renewable energy initiative will create new jobs for the American farmers, uh, it is likely to be negative on the prices of corn and soybean in the medium term if the more de- advanced bi- renewable biofuel can be produced economically. If and when that happens, uh, palm oil prices will follow uh, to Otherwise, in the immediate term, I doubt there will be significant change it is today. Okay. Can you just remind us what's your palm oil price forecast in the base case? Um, yeah. And yeah, palm oil price forecast for next year is uh, 2,400 per ton. Uh, but the risk is on the upside given where uh, the recent development in terms of shortage of supply and weather scare in South America. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Shiteng. Uh, we'll bring in Kaushal here. Again, you know, I think uh, the oil and energy markets could be shaken up with a Biden win. Um, you know, Kaushal is a comprehensive report. So what, what are your key points or what it means for the energy markets? Hey, good morning, Hakbin. Uh The first is, I mean, the, the Biden's approach to geopolitics. Uh, we could see the sanctions that were placed on Venezuela and Iran under Trump's administration reversed. And this could potentially mean a return of around 2 million barrels per day to the market. Uh, this is the biggest source of near-term risk for the market, which is already struggling with very weak demand and faster than expected return of uh, oil from Libya. Uh, if production from these countries comes online, OPEC will be in a very difficult position to balance and maintain compliance. You know, we're already seeing many of the countries like Iraq, Nigeria, that are struggling to maintain compliance, you know, as they're already in an economically very, very difficult position. Uh, with crude returning from these two countries, crude prices can remain weaker for much longer. And that's that's probably the biggest risk uh, that I see. Uh, the second point is, uh, you know, given the pro-green sentiment in the United States, there is a high probability that U.S. oil majors like Exxon, Shell, Chevron, uh, they will be pressured to accelerate their divestment of ONG assets and raise renewable portfolio. 
Uh, the U.S. majors are noticeably lagging their European counterparts in setting ambition green targets. And with Biden's win, we could see this gap close. Now, U.S. oil majors are most likely to divest assets in Asia Pacific. Uh, we see upside risk on M&A for you know Southeast Asian ENP players like uh, you know PTTEP, Petronas, Portamina, all the guys that have really you know decent balance sheets. Um, last week, I was in an analyst meeting with PTTEP, and the CEO mentioned that they could potentially announce uh, an M&A later this year or early next year. So I think this is a situation we could see. Uh, you know, it, it, similarly for other ENP players in Southeast Asia. Hmm. And my last point is uh, the, the U.S. crude production and demand will see significant shifts under Biden. Uh, you know, it is important to note that the U.S. is the biggest consumer and producer of crude. Uh, on, uh, so on the production side, you know, we will see continued underinvestment in the sector. Uh, this trend has been going on from 2016. On the demand side, we could see reduced demand for gasoline as Vehicle efficiency standards are raised and EV uh, demand picks up. Uh, but so lower supply is bullish for crude, lower demand is bearish for crude. But if you were to ask me my gut feeling, I think the slowdown in supply could be faster than the slowdown in demand, which could be a net positive for crude prices midterm. Okay, okay. I mean, you know, all prices fell about you know, quite sharply last week. Um, so can you remind us again, you know, what's your base outlook for the for, for good prices in going to next year? And what, what could be the, no, the risks? So uh, for, for next year, our forecast is $45. Um, but of course, if, if Biden wins in Iran you know, and Venezuela, the prices come back, you know, we could probably see the prices uh, sort of trend lower. Uh, so that's the key risk. Um, so yeah, that's, 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 what's, uh, that's what we see right now. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Chiting. Thanks, Kaushal. I think with that, uh, we'll wrap it up for today. Uh, enjoy the rest of the week. Thank you.